Are you deprived, perhaps discombobulated, maybe even distracted? You want more from life, from relationships, from God. Whether you're in a season searching for purpose or perhaps know your purpose but feeling lackluster or lost in the execution of it, this podcast was created for you. In fact, this isn't just a podcast, it's a movement, and we're on a mission to find the lost, welcome them in, and launch them into their greatest destiny, fully found in Him and founded on the rock. This is a table for a multitude of marketplace ministers to come together for fresh revelation, resources, and revival. Get ready to catch the fire and live fully free, fully found. This is the Founder Collective. All right, y'all, we are back with another episode and we're missing Brother Jay in the house because he is not feeling well, but we are sending him all the love and all the glory. By the way, have you been tuning in to Glory? Uh, His song, that song, their song, Woo! Anthony's rocking a glory hat right now. I, I listened to the drop, which was a couple Fridays ago from when you're hearing this podcast, and it just had me so reminiscent of even just the the testimony that he's been walking, that we as a family have been walking out over the course of the last several years, and how good God's glory actually is, and what that actually means to stand beneath his glory, within his glory, being surrounded by glory. And as Jesse shared with me after the last conference, which is now founder con coming up this fall, like we can look at ourselves in a mirror and we can be glory because the Christ that who dwells inside of us. And Anthony, you're literally like a mirror to me right now with that glory. He's like, glory, you are glory. Or is it the beard? I don't know. (laughs) You know, that's the glory of the image that we were created in. We all carry a piece of that. We don't have all of it. So that's where I think that we always have to fall back into is I am not God's ultimate glory, but I carry a piece of it. And that's why it's the calling on our life is to to share that with the people around us is through us. And sometimes it's even in our brokenness, our mistakes, that his glory is revealed when he elevates and and moves into those moments. But yeah, that song, if you have not downloaded it uh, and got it on any of the streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, all the things, Glory uh, by Revival Music Company with Joseph Stallings, you better get it. I had the... uh, awesome invitation over the weekend. I attended two worship events that he was leading. So it's got a different flavor as anything does when you hear it live. I'm a live music guy because there's something intimate that happens. And in both of those cases, uh, just his heart comes out in this song and his testimony of of what God's brought him through. So I can't wait uh, to the next one. Hopefully in the next episode, he is back with us to kind of share what his thoughts are with this song as it's moving now. Absolutely. We'll totally do a Q&A just around that. And even when we had an opportunity to worship together as a family last fall and do the song live and also have just the whole worship atmosphere of like an hour and a half recording, it's on our YouTube channel, the Founder Collective YouTube channel. And so you can actually get a front row seat of what that felt like, what the energy was like in that live experience. Uh, but that's one of the reasons I love to actually come together with people. And I think with COVID being what it was, 
was and isolating people for so long. And people are like in this, I'm coming out season, right? Of being in, in the spaces where the glory actually exists and you can sense it and you can feel it. And you're not in a space by yourself and you can see the hairs raised on somebody else's arm. You're like, you feel it too. I like get so amped about that. And so as you are cultivating a church, Anthony, and cultivating a ministry and cultivating men's groups and leadership groups, and you do so much with the gifting of your anointing associated to your voice and the wisdom that God's given you. I'm going to put you on the hot seat right now. He Uh didn't know this was coming. (laughs) I'm curious when you're in that space, how do you experience God's glory and share God's glory? Do you have a like a sensational feeling differentiation when Anthony is talking versus when God is speaking through you? Um, yes, I feel there's a certain amount of doubt that comes in when Anthony's speaking. Um, fear that I may not say the, say the right thing, have studied the right thing, done the right thing. And I find more fear in the pulpit than I do across the table from somebody. And it's because I had to prepare for the pulpit moments. So in that space, I feel like I have some amount of control over the success or failure of it. But I'm finding in the intimate spaces like this one right here where we have zero agenda, uh, like we just walked out of a Zoom call with a group of people in that space. I have zero control over what is said. And really, the conversation is driven by the people in the room, which you have no control over. So in that space, it is really just a freedom for wow, okay, God, I'll say that. That's crazy that you just dropped that spirit connects. And then to see the response, because in that moment, I know it's not me because I didn't prepare for it. I didn't do enough reading, enough praying to say, okay, I got this. And you say it and like, oh, I already, I was waiting for that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I studied that this morning, actually. Thanks for right. giving me the verse of the day. But it's those intimate moments like that that are driving me back to preparation for the pulpit moments differently. And it is an undoing moment. It's it's all of us are wired a certain way to think that we have the ability to fail or and we do. We can fall short if we really wreck the bus. Um, but it, it's learning to lean on him, even in those platform moments, those corporate moments to if he takes us the other way or, you know, if. All the sermon don't get preached this week, and I preach a sermon series for the whole year, then so be it. That's where he's talking, and that's the conversation I'm having with him then becomes the corporate conversation. Well, and I think that your identity series last year was like a huge part of that. How many weeks did you preach identity? 26 weeks. 26 weeks. And the cool thing is, is there there was so many conversational, um, politically, even in education, around gender. Like there were so many things that were earth shattering associated to identity that were like wrecking us in a much wider corporate component, in a global component. And for God to continually like intimately share that with you and you just coming to activate. I mean, that series in and of itself, we need to get that out. We need to get that out somehow. It was, it was so good. And when I would listen to it in our car on the way back from trips or somewhere, I was always thinking like, how good is God in the sense of being able to take a human vessel that is was, I'll say, was broken, and to like fill that the cracks. We've we've both shared the kintsugi uh, methodology, that Japanese art of the fine lining of gold that brings all these pieces together. That when I hear you speak, because I've known where some of your broken cracks have been, 
it like that awestruck wonder of God, that reverence of God, the glory, the mantle that I see on your life. I'm like, gosh, there's no way that's just Anthony, right? And it's just so beautiful to be connected to that. And I think for leaders, regardless if they're ministers listening to this, we're talking to a group of founders, right? It's a lot of entrepreneurs and people who have ministries or people who have any sort of entrepreneurial realm, even our family leadership, is how do we get to operate in that flow more frequently and it not be something that's curated and it not be something that's forced and it not be something like I'm checking the box of now it's time to put on my glory hat. <laughs> no pun intended, yeah. though you're wearing it. Um, you know, one of the things I get, especially now, people in church will come up like, man, God is so proud of you. Like you do this so well. And one of the things that God's really restored in me and I think has positioned me in the ministry is value, is bringing that to people, restoring people's value and brokenness and not being stuck where you once were. So when somebody like says that to me, like, you know, you just have such a beautiful way of speaking value over people. I'm like, that's just who I am. But then it's in that moment, I'm reminded that's not who I was. And being able to flow out of that is that healing moment that as you walk through it, it does become who you are. And when people see it, it represents something that's not available everywhere. And I think that's even in the, the beautiful intimate expression of who you are in the, in the um, entrepreneurial world, in the business world, you as Tamra, but then also the people you're speaking live into. Everyone that we're speaking to today represents an intimate expression of whatever gift they have, whatever space they're in. And too many times we follow in this carbon copy, try to do what somebody else did, read this book that somebody else wrote. And if I do it like they did it, I'll have the results they have. And we lose our intimate expression because we lose the why or the where we came from that makes it that much more valuable. So I think what happens is as you're becoming, as your book always, as you're growing into who you are, who you are matters. That's why identity is so important. Finding your identity in Christ is different than me finding my identity in Christ. Church has messed this up and we've made it like we're just a bunch of clones of Jesus going around. So but that's not true. We were born in broken situations. Some of us were born in good situations, but our journey to get here him coming alongside, sharing his DNA with us, changes us to a place that every one of us are an intimate expression, an intimate piece of the image of God. And it's in those spaces, whatever we're called to, whether it's pastoring, whether it's business, in your family, you have to carry that. And it is who you are. So when people come and say, wow, you just do this so well, you should do it well. Because when you connect to him, you're walking into your identity. Gosh, I have been hanging out in Leviticus and Numbers, which is like, I've been told, honestly, my whole Christianese life, and I say Christianese because though I walk by spirit now and the spirit dwells in me, I didn't even know what that meant when I first came to know the Lord at 14. And I've been told that it's like going to the dentist and like not having lidocaine and they're just like yanking out, like you've had a root canal before. It's like literally giving you a root canal when you read Leviticus and Numbers, like it's terrible. You and can't so ride think, through like the mud with training wheels on. You ever yeah. try to ride the bike through training wheels? That's the way Leviticus and Numbers <laughs> is. If you try to go through that with yes. your training wheels on, you're going to get bogged down. Right. Well, I just like literally, it's been years since I even tried to, to associate myself to said books. And because I'm doing the Bible in the year right now, 
um, in the way that they're, they're chunking it up. I don't really have a choice and I, I do have a choice cause I'm doing it every day, but I don't get to choose how it's going to come to me. And I feel like, as you said, that training wheels, I was just recently in Costa Rica. Our family loves to travel. And we had those like fat tire bikes and we got to like ride on the sand. I feel like God has just gifted me a brand new bike to like trailblaze through Leviticus and Numbers. And part of that has been my heart posture towards it. Part of that has been like, God, I've been reading Genesis and it's been so rich. And so I know I'm coming with the posture of knowing because God is good and gracious that he wouldn't put this book in the Bible if it was supposed to be like a root canal without lidocaine or without that said painkiller. He wouldn't put it there. There's a purpose in it. And so as you're talking, one of the things that was revealed to me was this understanding of the temple build. And this was happening in Leviticus. They're telling you everything from like the amount of rings connected to the curtain and the stitching and the, I mean, all the wild details that I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going through it, Lord. You're going to teach me something, I swear, because I have this heart posture of learning and openness. And what are you going to reveal to me? And it was not until the very end of that build, of that construction, no different than Noah's Ark, they tell them exactly how to build the boat, is I had this revelation because of where the holiest of holies existed and that the Spirit dwelled in that space. And that's where Moses went and heard from the Lord and those who were able to have access to that space could talk to God, that God made us individually that intricate. We are now the vessel. We are now the holy temple in which God's spirit dwells. And so every ring, every wrinkle, <laughs> every fine line, every character trait, every quality is literally uh, an image bearer of our creator. And now we get to be this temple and all the rules and regulations connected to that is stewardship. All of the rules and regulation connected to that is obedience and righteousness and sanctification and protection and boundaries. Like you can't come into the holiest of holies. Tamara cannot have all these people in bed with her. All she gets is her husband, right? And so it's this recognition of what's transpiring with us individually and those character traits and qualities that you're talking about my temple is different. And so, yes, it looks different as a woman than it does as a man. And the one of the things that was said recently about comparison, if we knew, if we knew how intricately he designed us, if we truly believed that, we would never have the spirit of comparison. We would never. We would just look in that all in wonder towards our brothers and sisters rather than judgment. Now, think about this from a temple perspective. Imagine you are blazing this jungle mm -hmm. and you cut these vines out of your way and there stands before you this temple that's overgrown mm -hmm. and it's your job to restore it. Mm -hmm. That's who we are. When Jesus meets us, we are a broken down temple because that's what we were designed to be before we were ever given that access. That's what we were designed to be. And that's not what we are. And exactly what you said, we, we stumble upon this temple that's got too many people in the whole list of holies because that's where it's been. That's where our values come from. Yeah. Um, there's not enough people in our outer courts. We've lost. We have zero idea what this thing's for, or that thing's for. That's the purpose of the word of God, of our relationship and time with him is to restore the temple for its purpose. And it takes time. It's not a snap your fingers and da -da, it's all back no. to its purpose. Um, you know, one of the things I teach about from the original temple, I talk about the inner, the the outer court, the inner court, the host, who you allow in those places. But one of the things that really stood out to me here recently was the altar of incense. 
So the altar of incense sets right outside the holiest of holies in the in the temple, and the incense that's burned on that can only be used there. It was given in, um, I believe it's Exodus, a specific recipe for the incense to be used, and God said this cannot be used anywhere else. If it is, that person will be kicked out, like exiled. So then what we see in that space is there's only one person who smelled like this beautiful incense. And that was the priest who would light it before he went into the holiest of holies. And when he left the holiest of holies, so he had a scent and aroma about him when he walked through place, whether he was dressed like a priest or not, they knew where he had been. And I think that's the place when I think about now going to our life and the prayer life we're called to have, um, that's why when Jesus said, when you stand to pray, forgive. When Paul said, you should enter in into prayer with thanksgiving. I think for me, what I've seen is those are two beautiful forms of incense that when we have carried thanksgiving and forgiveness in our life, which is drastically different than the world around us, we carry a different aroma because of the presence of who we've been with. And I think that gets back to that temple. There's purpose in all of those, yeah. not to be the way it is, but as we're restoring ours, what was the purpose of this place, of this place, then how do I carry that into my life to begin to prune, put boundaries up to keep certain things out, to amplify those moments and that holiest of holy being that important, that that space with me, my hubby, and even your kids before they get married and go off, that space should be an aroma changing space that when I spend time there with God and those individuals, when I walk out, somebody knows I've been in the presence of something different. Well, it's interesting as you're talking, I'm, I'm having this vision of like our home and, and the value that I place on it and the peace that I want to safe harbor for it. And, you know, anointing the walls and, and those things when we moved in, cause this is actually my husband's childhood home and, you know, everyone's childhood looks a little different and this one surely did. And I wanted him to be able to parent from a new perspective. I wanted him to be able to feel like this was his new season that he could walk into a room and he could have have the dominion and authority over it that God would have him do rather than to have the mind of a child, even though we're supposed to be childlike, but his, his childhood. And I was thinking we had a photographer come in and I wanted to do like lifestyle shoot, which is for those who don't know, it's like a day in the life kind of rather than like us being formally dressed and everyone matching. No, it was like our morning routine before we go to school, which includes like making smoothies and getting our backpacks picked up and sitting outside perhaps if it's morning breakfast time and it's nice outside. And she came in and she photographed and she said at one point, she's like, the peace in your house, is it always like this? She's like, it like feels, feels almost like I can wear this. And I've never experienced that in somebody else's house before. She's not a believer. And so it makes me recognize even more so that like the things that are of most value to humanity that we carry as an essence, as an aroma to who Christ is within us are things we could never pay for. I cannot put on a jacket of peace though. We can have Ephesians six, like armor, of course, but like you can't pay for that. And so the joy, the peace, the forgiveness, this understanding, this authority, even in power, which the world has totally mutated towards what authority and power mean, but it's totally different when it's coming from a place of, of humility associated to God. It just brought that up to me. So, yeah. So then like, if you think back to that, like our home really is our inner court. 
Mm. As we invite people into that space, they get an intimate encounter because of our holiest of holies with God and with our intimate. And so I think that it brings more value to that table moments, to those places that we prepare. You know, the outer courts were almost unprepared, but the inner court were prepared places to have encounters. And the priest would encounter God in that holiest of holies, bring it to the inner court where people were ushered in and, and had a space to connect there. But the outer court was kind of where everybody was. Right. Well, I, I think that the society has gotten it flip-flopped though, yeah. right? Like they put, I was thinking as you're talking about the home and the sanctuary that it is, and I'm sitting in my office space in my home, I think about how people will put all their emphasis on their car or they'll put all their emphasis on their place of work. And they would never say to their coworker what they might say to themselves in the mirror, or they would never treat um, their, their person who is in the car with them the same way that they would treat their spouse. There's like these things that are taking place that we're trying to create spaces that are holy. And God's like, I can, that's not even yours to carry. That was a blessing. That was a gift. Yes, maybe, or maybe you went out and got it for all the wrong reasons. But I want people to be mindful of like, it all is birthed from an inside out versus an outside in. And we know this in society and culture and consumerism mainly as we're trying to find our identity and what we can purchase. And that's why I said that the, these things, these fruits of the spirit are priceless. Yeah. And it's it's funny as you talk about that, our home, we take in outside of our home so we can come home and take it out on our family. <laughs> Come on. But what if we begin to take in in our space of residence with our intimate space with our family and be filled with life giving with people who generally want to bring value to us and we want to bring value to them. So when we take when we go out, we take that out on the world like we begin to give that away. That's what it should be. And our holiest of holies, the inner court, like we're receiving something to go share with others. But it's the opposite. We're receiving out here. We're in constant receiving mode where we're being taken away from. And then we come home and just take it out on our family. Well, we were just talking about in the Founder Collective that you alluded to earlier, which is this open round table of founders who are founded in Christ and founded in Him, but also founded a company or a ministry or whatever it is that they have been laid on their heart as their vision and mission here on earth, connected to the Great Commission, is we're we're constantly looking to this outside era of like what's going on and in that bringing in we'll to- we'll totally miss what God really wanted to tell you in your quiet time because we're bringing the problems into our prayer versus just coming in that, that I said it before that all struck reverence of God and say God what's your will what is it that you want to speak to me today? What is it that you want to teach to me? We're always like that parent child, you do this so beautifully. And I'm not quite to the same age bracket as your kids are, but like the pulling on the side are like, mama, mama, dada, dad, I need something from you. And that's how we exist in our prayer life. I need something. Can you fix this problem? And you're like, whoa, you haven't even said hi. You haven't even came and given me a hug. You haven't even said, I love you. And you want me to go run and make you a meal real quick because you're hungry. And so it's just how do you establish that that knowledge base and that like sense of peace before you enter into the inner courts versus the other way around? Think about this from a business perspective. What if you only had meetings when problems arose? Then you as a leader only become a problem solver. Mm. That's the way it is mm. with God. Like God's our problem solver. But what if you as a leader were to provide value? That was your number one 
job that you wanted to, every meeting you called, you wanted those people to be ejected out of there with value, not needing you. And it doesn't mean you're not available when a, a, a place arrives, but it changes how you interact with your team in that space because it's not, we got to meet so I can tell you what we're doing wrong or what you're doing or how we got here or how we're going to get out of it. When you get back to that place, because of the value spoken into them, they realize they're a part of the problem solving. That's what God wants to do in us is speak value into us to help us realize that we are a part of this. Now we lean in on him and we get access to ultimate resources and wisdom that we don't have. But it's not that we just sit back and pray like, God, I hope you fix this. God, I hope you give me this. He's like, you got to work. Like faith requires you to step out. Peter, you can walk on the water, but you need to walk on the water. It's not just a, yeah, you could do it if you wanted to. You got to take a step of faith. You got to walk into this knowing who I am. And I think as leaders of business, if, if your meetings are only to address problems, you need to be very, very careful because that's all you are as a leader. And they'll lean on you and you'll do it for them. And they'll never see you as who you've been called to be to lead them into who they are. You'll just become who you are and they're worthless without mm -hmm. you. Well, you said this perfectly last week, and it's going to land home with me forever. I've already sealed it in my brain, is the difference between value and being val validated. And that as leaders, we can validate the people that are working on our behalf or the people in our communities, and that's all they see. They just now come back for this validation cycle. But yeah. you said value is dated. No, and that opposite. Is, Validation is, is dated value. Dated value versus yeah. value has no date. Yeah. yeah. Share about that. I, I kind of just said it, but say it one more time so they can receive it. And it was such gold when you dropped it. Um, it was funny is because I've said validation so many times and somebody was saying it as we were talking and just, yeah. they said it, and I was like, oh, validation, if you look at it, is just dated value. In other words, it's value that has an assignment date or an expiration date, because that's generally what comes with it. Whether it's okay. a title, if you receive validation through a title, there is an expiration on that as soon as you don't have that title. And then through my life, there were several moments where because of the title, where I was in the Navy and I worked to get this title of chief, I had been validated in that. Uh, at that same season, I'd um, work to be a pastor in a church. And in that, when God said, all right, it's time to retire from the Navy and step out from the church you're in. I lost both of those titles and instantly had no value because I'd merely just been seeking validation. But it was in that season that God valued me. When I found out who I was, then I I now have the pastor or the title of pastor, but that title doesn't validate me because my value is in him. So if tomorrow he says, okay, leave this and go do something else. Okay. Because my value is not tied to this title. Yes. I don't have to prove myself to anybody else. And I think that is the place where everybody, if you're right now, if you need, if you seek validation, if you're in a constant space of not having value, you have a poverty mindset when it comes to value. It's based on what you have in your hands not what you have access to. Because the moment something is taken from you, your value goes with it. But if your value truly lies in the one you've been created in, it doesn't matter what you have to hold or what you have to let go of, your value does not change. Golly, it's so good and it's so rich. And, and people think about it specifically connected to Christ and the Christ who dwells in them. That's where the value ultimately comes from. But as a leader, I also think about not but and as a leader, I think it's important that 
our team sees that, right? I'm of course thinking specifically of your bride. I never want her to feel validated per se in her role. I want her to feel valued in who she is. And that's such a gift to have a friendship like that, to have a partnership like that. And it's not found often. It's not a leadership trait or a leadership training that I I have ever gone through before. And this is why the biblical practices, the biblical principles connected to growth, connected to friendship, and family and business, it's all there. It's all in the Bible, y'all. It's so good. And it's and we're here talking about Leviticus, and it was this rich. Yeah. So, Aunt, I love you. I'm so thankful for your wisdom. And I'm so excited for people to continue to come back to this well. You guys are going to get to hear from Jay next time as well. But Anthony, you are valued, and I love you. Thank you. And Tamara, you are valued, and I love you. Uh, and I hope everybody questions. on the other end of this uh, <laughs> podcast right now feels value. If yeah. you don't, then you need to, to lean in, find the, find a village of people who value you for who you are and don't validate you based on what you have. And I think that is the beautiful space of who our friendship is uh, and our village is and the people we surrounded ourselves with. It doesn't mean that there's not moments we mess up. Um, but that's when the comparison comes in based on what you've done compared to your value. Mm-hmm. This is not who you are. This is this is a moment of mistake. Let's get you back to your value. Let's get you back walking into who you are. Let's dust you off. You can go take a bath and wash this stuff off. This is shame and disappointment. You don't have to wear that because you have value. So rich. Ooh, I love this show. Y'all. Be sure to subscribe, follow wherever you're listening to this. Drop a review if you would. We would love it so much. It doesn't validate us, but it does show other the value of our show. Maybe? Yeah. I like it. Land? I that. <laughs> All right, y'all. See you next time. Founder Collective. <laughs> this is the Founder Collective.